on the next episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. It's Season 2, Episode 13, and it's Time Squared. Marty, Marty, get in your time machine. We're going back to the future. There'll be some of this. Remember, Riker, spandex retains odor. Some of that. Look out, it's the greatest entity of us all. And oh, oh, you won't believe this part. Listen, Great Bird, I can play against my greatest adversary, myself. And it's coming at you right about now. I, I, I know, you know that we're very responsive to the fans. Yes. We listen to the fans quite a bit, I and know. some fans have reached out to us and said they don't care for the countdown at the beginning of the show. Oh, 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 do they? Oh. <laughs> and so we've pulled back on that, but then I heard from another fan recently okay. saying, hey, what happened to the countdown? It's always good to pull back, number one. It's impossible to make everyone happy. Right. Welcome, everybody, to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek number Podcast. One. Not another one. <laughs> the podcast that's not afraid to count all the way down from way too far out, only to make people happy. Oh. I am, as always, the delightful Ambassador Andrew, and with me is my close, dear, personal friend, Commander Dave E. Dave. He commands our hearts. <laughs> is that true? This is like the 13th episode of the second season. They're calling this thing Time Squared. Get it? Not Times Square, but Times Squared. <laughs> Do you think, is that what they're playing on? Oh, yeah, of course. What else would they be playing on? I never, it never dawned on me that it was Times Square. It's a subtle uh, joke. Well, and there's also no reason for it because it's not like they go to New York. If they had gone to New York in Times Square, that would have been one thing. Captain, look at all the, the used condoms. Oh, my God. Why is that what has to, has to come into <laughs> your mind? Because, wait, wait, listen, listen. The Times Square of 1989 is not the Times Square of 2020-something that we're in right now. Um, wow. that is, it's not the same place. I, I, I was privy to that Times Square. and that I mean, it's amazing to think that that Times Square is the same Times Square we have today. Can you please quit saying Times Square? I mean, I'm sorry. Talk about Times Squared. And I also like that it's a little bit of time travel inside the time travel. Yeah. The episode about time travel. It's it's like double time travel? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that because you're time traveling back to uh, oh, I 1989. See. Like, and yeah. I'm, you know, never mind. I, I feel like our show is like a, it, it's like we were in the Wayback Machine. I refuse to be Sherman. You're going to be the dog? I, I will be Mr. Peabody. <laughs> Come along, Commander Davy Dave. Why don't you do us all a Federation-flavored favor and tell mm -hmm. us what this episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation what what's going on here? What what's what's well, the haps? This is what we do, folks. When we when we start the show out, we like to synopsize the the crap out of it because we're we're thinking not everybody's watching these episodes, and and so we're trying to get your minds around what's happening so that you can enjoy. The, the the Star Trek tomfoolery and the strange uh, connect the dots cultural reference that we seem to be doing on each episode. Exactly. The, right. While on their merry way to someplace called Endicor, the Enterprise. Endicor. Endicor? Endicor. Okay. The Enterprise encounters a Starfleet shuttlecraft floating dead in space. They tractor beam it on board only to discover it's one of their own shuttles, the El Baz. What? The El Baz. Wow. But wait, the El Baz never left. There it is, sitting in the shuttle bay. What? There are two of them, Andrew. How weird can this crap get? That's just what I was wondering. We'll strap in because inside the second shuttle is a whole other Jean-Luc Picard. What? How in the galaxy is that possible, Dave? I don't know. The second JLP isn't talking because he's comatose and unresponsive to treatment. Huh. After some investigation, the crew discovers this Jean-Luc is from the future. Six hours in the future, to be exact. That's not much. And garbled log entries show that he fled his enterprise just before it was destroyed by yet another entity. Another entity! Our Enterprise crew is on the edge as they seem to be hurtling towards their doom. What led the other Jean-Luc to flee his Enterprise? What decisions did the doomed crew make that done doomed them? 
And how can our enterprise escape? What what what's going to happen? I mean, is this the end of the show? Is this the last episode? I know this was a shortened season because of the writer strike and everything. Right. Uh, it looks like there's no way they're getting out of this one. I don't know. I mean, there were moments where I wasn't sure. Oh, know. well, okay, next time, join us. No. Boop, 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 boop. This is much better than episode than I remember. And I think yeah. I was also getting impatient for things to happen back then because of the lack of action and such. And I know we've talked about this before, and we'll probably bring it up again. Yes. I'm starting to see now how it affected the show when I first saw it. It really started to make me kind of itchy about it because I was like, anything ever going to happen on this show? Right. And now I'm like, oh, I know how it's going to go. Okay, I'm all right. We touched on this a number of times. And I and I really do think a lot about this because I've been complaining about the lack of action and how normal dramatic elements have been stripped from the show because of some of the Great Bird's rules about what the future is supposed to be like. And, and, and this is the part I've been thinking about. We saw a show that he created in the 60s and it had these things and we loved these things like we loved the idea of there being action and kind of political statements played against that action so then you got this show that comes along 30 plus years later and you go why like why did they make these types of choices to drag it down a bit it really affected the way i saw it the first time right you know i I felt like the episodes were dragging a bit when really, you know, watching this thing from a 30-year distance, however long it's been, I am really starting to appreciate it a little bit more. I mean, it's it's like the last couple of episodes. It's a problem-solution episode. It has a real classic feel to it because it's a weird science fiction problem, and it you does. see the different members of the crew playing their different roles to get things fixed or to get things figured out, and that works for me. I like that plays on the original series episode the enemy within where there's a transporter mix up because there's like a storm or something so you end up with two captain kirks Kirks. you end up with a sort of a mousy wimpy but good-natured kirk and then you end up with the darker impulsive action kirk and sometimes i feel like the next generation we only beamed up one kirk it's funny the whole show could be framed like that. Also, Enemy Within is famous for the poodle with a horn. Right. This is the episode it was in, kind of a, a pre-Targ thing. Right. And there it is, poodle with a horn. The poodle ends up getting beamed up, and its its personality gets split in half, too. So you got one, one right. angry dog and then, like, a really nice, gentle lap dog that you wouldn't mind having sitting in your lap. The other one the other one will bite your nuts off, but but the good one will sit in your lap. And, that, and that's what Kirk had going on, and... and I don't know if you remember this. Kirk would bite your nuts off. Well, you know, like a person wouldn't do that, but the dog would. Uh, Kirk wants. Kirk's so angry he wants to fight himself. There were some really terrific scenes in that episode of uh, William Shatner and some dude that looked like William Shatner grappling each other in in long shots. Versus this episode where you have um, (laughs) Patrick Stewart and some guy that looks like Patrick Stewart, but he's the the guy that looks like Patrick Stewart's just laying on a table. He's sleeping. Hello. Keep it down. (laughs) Understudy, wake up. It's just seen. Oh, uh, what's going on? Listen, folks, there's no sense to it, too. And uh, the two captains in this episode, maybe you can clarify it for me, Andrew. I just don't understand what the hell is going on in this episode. Well, I will say this. I will say this, that this this Captain Picard, who's just sort of confused and lays down for most of the episode, is the Star Trek The Next Generation character I associate with the most. I totally identify with that one. <laughs> I really saw myself in this episode. <laughs> I'm and sleepy. I think that helps as well. Well, that's funny because, you know, if you think about it, when we're consuming the show, like you and I and everybody else, we're relaxed. Sure. We're in our galaxy class lazy boys, you know. <laughs> we're just sitting there enjoying it, you know. But then and then, and then here we are expecting these people to be incredibly active on screen. <laughs> It's like, can't somebody in this room be doing something? Because <laughs> right. it ain't going to be me. Uh, the Jonathan Franks, do they pay you to just lift your leg over that chair? Or could you run around and avoid some laser beams or something? Well, because the, there is some weird action when when yeah. Picard and Riker have this scene together, which I really like and I want to talk about. It's a good but scene. But it's, it's weirdly staged at the beginning because they're in Picard's ready room. Right. And Riker is seated. And Picard sort of walks around him, and then Riker just sort of pivots his chair to follow him. Like, Riker's just kind of swiveling. And I'm like, wow, that's some weird staging there. I think you're right to call it staging because it really is like a a stage scene. And I think it's done in one shot instead of cutting these multiple shots. I like the way it looks because it's organic 
you know, the way this show is shot, it's shot like a traditional TV show of the time. And you have all these camera setups, this idea that you have to have coverage of every scene. And so you have three cameras set up and you've got a master shot, like a wide shot. And then they move in for these close up shots to get reactions on all the characters. And you know who invented the three camera TV show, right? Okay, but this is the Star Trek connection, Dave. Desi Lu. Oh, Desi Lu Productions. Desi Arnaz, when he was directing the I Love Lucy show, right, okay. used the three cameras and was very innovative at the time. And of course, Desi and Lucy had their production company, Desi Lu, mm -hmm. and Lucy Lucille Ball was a big proponent of Star Trek. Really liked the show. It's all full circle, Dave. Uh, they, full so Desi Lu produced Star Trek, uh, the, the company, the, the original the company. The, yes, yes, run by. Lucille Ball at that point, but it was produced by Desi Lu Productions back in the 60s. What I was trying to say was they shoot all these this coverage, all these shots. And so in this scene, there's just one camera getting it all. And so you get the actors reacting against each other. And it always looks better if you've got them actually reacting to each other. They're both good actors and they can actually act against each other. It looks great. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know swiveling in the chair. Fine, but it's it's organic. It's organic swiveling. Yeah, it happens all the time in our house. All we do is swivel. That's how we communicate. All right. Speaking of organic, it's funny you mentioned organic. What a delightful transition. Because we have a scene at the beginning of the episode, which, you know, we were complaining last season yeah. that there were a lot of plot lines that just didn't seem to dovetail properly. Okay. And this, this episode does something uh, particularly interesting. It starts off with this scene where Riker is making eggs. And it's Riker, Pulaski, Worf, Geordi, and Data. Right. And, and they go over to Riker's place, and Riker is going to make his famous omelets, which look like scrambled eggs for some reason. That's probably why it doesn't go over so well. Right. And, and he's using actual eggs, these Owan eggs. From Planet Owan? Or the eggs of an Owan. I really wasn't sure. I think it's like an Owan is like some kind of, uh, uh, um, you know, Targ-like. Egg-laying Targ? <laughs> So, so he's making these eggs, and, and just like Kirk in Generations, right, which obviously this happened way before Generations, but just like Kirk with Generations, suddenly right. Riker knows how to make some eggs. Space eggs. And it's great because it has nothing to do with anything, but it's all about character, right? right? So the show is starting to get into these beats, and they're socializing, they're off-duty, but apparently they still wear their uniforms, whatever. I know. You know, he's making these eggs, and it's a great scene. Because they all hate the eggs, except for Worf. Worf thinks they're delicious. And he's like woofing them down. <laughs> delicious. The, yeah, they're, the rest of them are like, this tastes like shit. And it, I, I like all those moments. It's a lot like what happened two episodes ago when we started our card game that Riker's running, I think, also from his cabin, right? But again, Worf is made to look the fool because he likes something that's disgusting to the rest of them and it's you know it's delicious to him because he's so alien and well, i mean you it, think you think that made him look foolish i i it just I makes just... him look like it's so much about making him like he loves to do things that are disgusting to the humans and so he doesn't take baths and he's he's you know very violent. We've seen him destroying people on the holodeck, or or you know holograms on the holodeck this season. This totally turns it around because the eggs are natural, right? They're natural eggs, so they're not made by a replicator, right? And again, one of the things we've gone on about time and time again is the fact that they're eating reconstituted feces, oh, right? So because they're eating they're eating I waste like matter. Uh, reconstituted feces finally they're eating something natural and right. they don't get it they don't <laughs> like it do you think that's where it's going because i like that if that's the case i i just thought it was disgusting and he likes it because it's disgusting the idea that they don't know what real food tastes like because they're so used to eating it out of this that's know. the way i want to read it just right. because it's funnier and it doesn't make Worf look like an idiot i mean because they say it's an omelet and it's clearly scrambled eggs they already have no idea what the hell they're talking about and here's, here's some decent food for once. It actually came out of a creature in a natural way as opposed to coming out of a computer after you pooped in it. Well, and <laughs> and Worf is finally like, oh, my God, finally, something I can eat that doesn't taste like, you know, that like Riker's had corn or something. It, 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 I don't need any more fiber. Right. Well, listen, this is, uh, I mean, a little behind the scenes reading. There was a, a scene that they wrote 
or they, I think they shot it and it got omitted. So it bookends this episode. At the end of the episode, they return to Riker's room, and this Owen thing that he made is is actually supposed to be a planet, like a dish from a planet Owen. And Riker makes something that's from Alaska, which I'm not sure if that's where he's from, but we know it's Earth, right? So he yeah. makes this Alaskan dish. And everybody eats it and loves it, except for Worf, who thinks it's disgusting. So it's like the space stuff, the the non-Earth stuff that's disgusting to the humans is delightful to Worf. And, and I know that's not in the episode, so it doesn't count. I'm just saying it was in the script. Well, and it's also a bit of silliness because we we discussed in Matter of Honor how how Worf does. We never see Worf eating Klingon food. Right. I don't even know that we ever see Worf eating, and probably because of the makeup it would be difficult to have him dealing with food. It's um, hard for and, anybody to eat on TV. Just because everybody's wearing makeup, even though they look like they're not wearing, you know, they're not wearing a big old, you know, hockey mask of latex. They're still heavily made up to to show up in the lights. I like the scene. It's a fun scene. Yeah. But when we were talking about the Dauphine, we were talking about the fact that, you know, what's dating like? What's the social life like on the Enterprise? And here we get a look. It, it it seems a little, you know, casty in the sense that this is the management, like management's hanging out. Right. You know, they're not getting a bunch of red shirts and saying, look, you guys don't have much longer to live. Do you want to come and hang out? Yeah, and I guess that makes sense. I mean, you, you, you hang out with your friends from work. Uh, Commander Riker, my name's Jimmy F. Jeffries. Um, uh, you know, my my grandfather invented the, the tubes. Yeah, and and I'm still like uh, knocking it around with. Uh, I'm still snowball fighting with Wesley Crusher. Is there any chance I can get in on one of these poker nights? Well, I'm sorry, but you're a lesser being to me, and quite frankly, uh, repulsive. So no. I thought there wasn't any jockeying for positions in the future. <laughs> That, well, it makes sense, though, too, because you want to talk about mm. there's always the danger of being insensitive when there's people who have, have subordinate jobs to you. And you're like, yeah, my day was really hard. I had to sit in a chair and swivel around while the captain talked to me. And meanwhile, <laughs> that person's like, yeah, I had to clean the Jeffrey tubes out of a replicator accident. I had yeah. to clean up the puppies down on deck 39. Those goddamn puppies. You know, I, I, I'm responsible for cleaning off the headrests of all the chairs that Commander Riker uh, does that chair thing over. You mean you were actually sitting in the chair and swiveling as opposed to rubbing your taint on the back of the chair? Well, I guess that gets me a couple of minutes off. Excuse me, number one. Did you say taint? I did say taint because it's his taint that he's rubbing. We have invented so many things for this show. <laughs> well, what else do you think they're doing on the Enterprise, though, for all these people being in this ship with a lot of them with no windows we know there's at least four holodecks and that's where they're getting their recreation but what else they're getting drunk on the synth hall okay. which i guess they can't get drunk on the synth hall you know they at least are hanging out at 10 forward kind of like a space applebee's and they're sitting there having <laughs> mozzarella sticks and loaded potato skins and getting some wisdom from Guinan. another plate of the roasted uh mushrooms please can I get some Pippius Claw with a side of ranch there, Guinan? Extra cheese, please. I'm thinking like shuffleboard night, a space bingo night. Well, they play a lot of cornhole on the Enterprise. Oh, my God. Space cornhole. <laughs> space <laughs> cornhole. All right. You watch this one. Hold on a second. I've got a real treat for you, number one. Let's talk about time travel. Let's Let's move ahead, but at the same time move back. But the scene, though, I'm thinking about the stuff, the racier stuff that could be going on in the Enterprise. And I was I instantly clicked to the scene from the movie, The Ice Storm, Ang Lee's The Ice Storm. Oh, yes, remember yes, that? yes. So they're all putting their their comm badges in there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's 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 Mulder and she has to decide. Uh, <laughs> Pulaski has to decide, like, whose combat she's going to take out. And, yeah. and, and in The Ice Storm, what happens is people put their car keys in and then the game is a bunch of spouses you know pick you know somebody else's spouse right, to go right. home with i just thought it'd be funny if she finally pulls out commander data's <laughs> badge well you, you look in the bowl and there's a visor there's like a big gold sash there's a an empty teacup it's like you people have no idea what you're doing there's there. a half-eaten pippius claw <laughs> whose is this it was a dead giveaway i'm sorry it's my lucky rabbit's foot. It's my lucky targ foot. <laughs> I gotta just I do a, a, a space uh, release. Sure. 
Ah. Oh, nice, nice. Dave, you, you're drinking a Perrier from my home country, Dave. Engage. Boobly. Because I'm a man, I, I'm a man of the people. Back to time travel? I say let's move forward by going back to time travel. <laughs> Marty, Marty. <laughs> yes, Dr. Brown. We're going back. Yeah, so I was I recently saw a documentary about uh Back to the Future on this oh. Netflix show called Movies That Made Us. And one of the things that I, I loved is that they the studio didn't like the idea of calling him Professor Brown. So they changed it to Doc Brown. And suddenly the studio's like, yeah, right on. That is gold, my friend. Uh, 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 Mr. Zemeckis, please. <laughs> a professor would never do this. <laughs> I love hearing stuff like that, the stuff that makes absolutely no sense. And you, you think that there was, like, the, the, the poor people that were in the room and having to debate that discussion for hours on end. And, and it, it's so silly. I love it. Okay, so Star Trek loves its time travel, right? Oh, yeah. You oh, can't yeah. get through one series of Star Trek nowadays without there being enormous time travel. And in fact, uh, Discovery, the whole the whole plot line to Discovery... Don't ruin it! Spoiler alert! ...has a huge time travel leap in it. Right. They're time travel crazy. They love their time travel. This is the first time we have some serious time travel in TNG, and it's great because it's only six hours. And there's something about that that pleases me. I mean, it yeah. it, it it adds to the the tension. Yes. It adds to the complications. Yes. But at the same time, it's just like six hours, really. Well, the idea of why it's so great is what can happen in six hours. Like, how could right. everything change right. in six hours? It's a great tension builder. And finally, let's get going with that. We we did have an episode where we had time travel before with with Command of Data and. I think it was Dr. Julius Mannheim and his, you know, experiments gone awry. Yeah, we'll always have Paris. But what was, what was fun about that, too, is like it was it was just three datas. The only time travel we saw, there was three datas. There were three datas existing, and they were just seconds apart from each right. other, right? Well, Past, present, future. And then now we have six hours. So we're just like sort of slowly. We're like really nervous about our time travel. Just gently moving into time travel. What I love about this show, when they do this time travel stuff, and, and it does get better later on because they think about it more. But what I love is that there's all these different ways of using the time travel. And and in that, oh, we'll always have Paris, they use these seconds that they're off and these, and these right. potential alternate realities that kind of spin off from making different choices. And you get to see a few of those play out where... Riker, Picard, and Data run into themselves in the elevator and kind of note each other, right? And then right. move on, and it's it's kind of, it's cool. And I like that. I like to hear something different. It's six hours, and and you know later we get episodes where lots of time goes by, and you know we're going to the future, and and there's a lot of stuff that happens with time, and it's it's a great device because once you grapple with time, you can do anything. You can do all kinds of things, and it's exactly well, what the show needs. And and in some ways, like the time, like I'm thinking about Time Zero, which is where the crew goes back in time and meets Mark Twain. Oh, you know, and that kind of stuff is just sort of corny. I know, and and not very not very cool because the problem with time travel, of course, is that it's an easy escape valve. But here, because you only have six hours, the time travel is an accident, and I know it's a little confusing. It is confusing. What I get from it is that because they were in that entity vortex, this is the future Enterprise, okay. and the Enterprise explodes, the shuttle being caught that close to the antimatter reaction of the Enterprise exploding is what throws it back in time. Okay, because wait a second. So you're saying, you're saying that it is not an entity that sends Picard back in time. It is because of the explosion itself. Correct. When we're talking about warp drive, we are talking about bending space and time. That's the point to the warp drive. Sure. So when the warp engines explode, especially if they're going full power trying to pull away from the entity, there you go. Oh, my God. I guess. I mean, it, it's. I guess that's what happens. It's so weird. I, I mean, I, I like the time travel element to it because what happens is, they find this shuttle, it's their shuttle, and, and then there is a copy of their Picard, and this Picard was the thing, the person that got exploded back in time by six hours, right? Well, we dwell on it now, we're thinking about it now, but during the episode, I really didn't care. I wasn't really that caught up in it. I mean, the no. initial mystery is cool, and it's engaging. I like it too, yeah. How is it possible? 
I was getting a little annoyed when when Jordy and Data are working on that shuttle. They're like, oh, you know what? Put the energy, just turn the energy, reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, and and then the the shuttle will start. It's like just start doing things backwards. Right. We're giving them a, a stimulant. Give them like a not stimulant, and see what that does. That's the part that starts getting too confusing. Then the excuse is it's an entity that's that's made this whole thing happen. I, I find maybe the explosion sends them back in time, but it's all caused by yet another entity kind of poking around with the Enterprise. And the result is that Picard gets thrown backwards in time. And then these weird things happen. Like you're saying, Picard is still moving forward through time. He went back through right. time. Right. Now he's moving forward. He's in regular time. Everything that they're doing to try to revive him has to be done backwards. And so you'd almost want Picard, when he wakes up, to be speaking backwards like he's in a Twin Peaks episode or something. You know, <laughs> what is engage backwards? Gagging. 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 You know what that, you know what that was? Right. That was Riker, get your ass off of this chair backwards. Oh, you are a clever little fella. Is give me, what give you me are. another. Give me something else funny that'd be funny to say backwards. I feel gratitude and satisfaction. The shafts that I snicked. Did I really feel? Finally, number one, your Mzadi is satisfied. Mzadi. Mzadi. What did I say? Well, no, that's what I'm just saying. That, what does that sound like back then? Oh, oh, oh. The, the entity thing is kind of, and again, it's an entity, but this time the entity is really just sort of like an afterthought. There's no, it's like, well, why, why is this happening? It's like, ah, eh, well, there's an entity. Don't worry about it. In that scene, in the swivel chair scene, Picard supposes the interference is coming from an, an entity, and then he goes, he kind of ticks down a couple of the entities that they've run across. He says, sure. Well, 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 well it's not the uh, traveler. He wouldn't do something like this. No, no, no. No, I wouldn't do that, Dave. And then he mentions Nagilam. Oh, right, that, right. That, that creepy cat face thing. Remember the one that looked like a cat that wanted to kill everybody on the ship? <laughs> Remember this one? He had a very, like, James Earl Jones voice. Interesting. And Riker, you know, when they're sitting around, they're, they're reminiscing. It's like, remember, Riker, that time when I almost blew up the whole ship? Remember that? <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, he, Remember he, that time, Rika, when you filled your pants? Remember the eggs you made at the beginning of the episode? That's what the back of your outfit looked like. <laughs> Remember, Rika, spandex retains odor. Clean up on aisle, Rika. Well, the other thing is, too, so they're, they're floating along in space. And they're okay. just doing their thing, right? They're just driving along, and suddenly this, this cloud pops up to grab them. They just accidentally trip over Nagilam. Yeah. They accidentally trip over the cloud in Lonely Among Us. They act accidentally accident. Space is huge. Oh yeah, it's the biggest thing. And 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 how they keep running into these damn entities, it's like there's some sort of like uh like a guild or something of entities, and they're just like, Have you checked the menu for the Enterprise? You might want to check that out. That is one tasty ship. That's an entity, by the way. I like I, I don't know what that entity is. It sounds just like an entity. Do you think they get together? Do you think they meet these entities? Uh, oh, sure. And you know, you know who leads uh, the guild of entities. So, like Q, Q leads the thing, right? And he's like, "Hello, boys. I've asked you all together outside of our normal meeting schedule every other Monday." Yes, Armis is there. Yes, yes. Do I have to remind you not to interrupt while I'm speaking, Armis? Sorry. The one who holds the entity stick gets to talk. I'm holding the entity stick right now. Am I not? I said sorry. Sometimes my black heart makes me act impulsively. No to Armis. Enough of this bickering. It is I, Nagilam. We're entities for entities' sake. I enveloped the goddamn Enterprise in a giant space bag. Enveloping? Hey, that's my thing. Enveloping. Oh, wait, what did I say? Oh, you said enveloping. <laughs> Enve I wrote that. I know. Enveloping? Hey, that's my thing! Excuse me, I have the entity stick. Wait, who are you? I have a name you could not possibly pronounce. Hey, that's kind of insulting! You can call me the Traveler. 
I would like to remind you that we're here about the Enterprise D and the Picard problem. Right, right. We keep throwing entity after entity at him and nothing. Squat! Give me that stick. Caw! Caw! Ooh! Oh! Look out! It's the greatest entity of us all! I'm the great bird of the galaxy, goddammit. I know how to fix the Picard problem and stop the Enterprise in her tracks. Me! Me! Please tell us, great bird. See this? I just use my pen and my mighty ink-filled beak, the greatest power of all. Have you seen what I've been doing to these episodes the past two seasons? Caw, caw! Enveloping it in your lack of drama, great bird? So one of the things I do like about the beginning of the episodes, I like seeing the crew together. I like seeing them interact. You're starting to see the relationships develop. You get a good Geordi and Data scene here where they're trying to figure out what's going on. I do think it's ridiculous. You know, hey, uh, how about we go from negative to positive? It's as bad as the other episode. Remember in Contagion when they had to turn the Enterprise off and then turn it on again? Reboot this. So it's like this whole idea of making stuff go backwards, like using okay. negative energy instead of positive energy, yeah. you know, is silly. It's like the logic of old cartoons where you remember somebody would get bonked in the head and kind of like be out of it. Like out Bonk. of their mind, and then to get their brain to work again, they would have to be hit in the head again. And instead yes, of yes, that, yes. Instead of that killing them, it all of a sudden knocked the sense back into them. Wah, 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 wah. That's the same kind of logic. The one thing I want to talk about is that shuttle. Is how small that shuttle is. I, I don't know why it's like that. I, I understand money is not a thing in the twenty fourth century, but but Starfleet needs to have a yard sale or something because <laughs> they they need to be spending more money. And I and I, you know. You probably had to have two of them, so it cost money, because they actually built an El Boz. Side by side, right? Right. It's a physical set, but yeesh. First of all, we've seen another shuttlecraft before, and it was the, well, it was our Armist episode right. when Yar died, and we saw at least part of a shuttlecraft, uh, and it was larger, and we saw the interior of it. This one, they want to have two side by side, and I'm assuming that when they built these pieces, you know, because they've got a model, we see the model, and that's the thing that gets brought into the ship, and then we see an actual prop or set piece, whatever you want to call it, that is the shuttle that they can get inside, and then you see a shuttle by its side, and I don't know if they, you know, cut the shuttle in half and use the other side of it or or what. It's weird. It has to be done because of budget. Like, it's too, it's so small because they have to really build it, Yeah. I remember when we were talking about the Menagerie with Dave Baker and Nicole Gu, a very special episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek podcast. Oh, my God. I remember that like it was yesterday. Available to you at TNGs.com. That we talked about that shuttle, too, that it was real bare set. You know, it's a couple yeah. of chairs and some weird switches. Sure. What gets me about this shuttle, though, is that flip forward seating. And <laughs> I, I remember it was like it's like a Pinto, you know? I mean, the thing flip because. Back in the day when you would have two doors right. instead of four doors, you would have to flip that seat forward. And there's still some flip forward seating right, there is. in different cars. But it's just, I'm just like, oh, my God, it's like a Pinto. <laughs> you know, there's room in the back for a sleeping bag and like an ice chest filled with cactus cooler or something. But that's it. I mean, you're not going to do a lot of sh traveling with this shuttle. Well, what the, yeah, what the hell do you do with something so small? And then what do you do with the, where's the big shuttle that we've seen before? You know, like when the Picard in this episode you know, the future Picard escapes the ship and gets in the shuttle. Why didn't he go like, uh, send me, uh, Riker, give me the smallest shuttle possible. Why didn't he jump in the big ass one? Or why didn't he, why didn't he saucer set the thing and, and fly half of the ship out of there? I don't understand that part of it. Yeah, it's really weird. And again, and I'm sure it's down to budget and they're figuring, oh, well, whatever. It is. But, but the shuttle is such a huge part of this right. episode. It It is the first thing you see. It is. But yeah, it really is like the 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 cheapest shuttle they could I, get. I know. It's like you got to borrow your grandmother's <laughs> shuttle, you know. And it's like, well, you know, you could take uh, mom's car, but they got to go to work. So right. why don't you ask grandma if you could take her Hyundai or something? Grandma, would you mind if I borrowed your gremlin? I promise to bring it back. Uh, I'll fill the tank up this time. Gremlin is like a a, a wider Pinto. With a hatchback. Those cars were much bigger than, than this thing. I'm a big fan of the original series, and the original series has a lot of kind of low-end effects because it's so old. The original series really invented this shape of the shuttlecraft, and it's got all these hard edges on it that made sense if you were building something out of plywood and you had to get it done kind of quickly. Sure. But in this very sleek ship that they're in now, 
And 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 this ship looks great from the outside, even though the show's this old. It's like the special effects of the ship itself are really excellent. And then you've got this little box inside of it. It doesn't make sense. I, I mean, you would think there'd be something sleeker on the inside. And the fact is they just can't fabricate in 1989 something that is cost effective out of plastics that you can make into a, a ship that can actually be on camera. It's it's got to be a special effect. It's later season shuttles do get larger. They get some warp nacelles mm. on them. You know, they they become much more agreeable. It just to me that damn flip seat. I mean, I, I expected <laughs> like, I expected like Jordy at some point to open our glove compartment and look for the registration. It's like, hey, this one here is owned by Johnny Luke Picard. But it looks like here, like the bank, he's still paying on it. Uh, uh, listen to me, other Picard. Where did you put the keys to the shuttlecraft? Wake up. I need them. They're, they're under the seat. But let's get to the middle here. It, this is Picard, Picard, Picard. Oh, this is man. all the Picard you could ever want. This is Jean-Luc to the max. Oh, double Picard action. No, Everybody loves it when there's a double Picard episode just like we used to love the, the the two shatners we used to love the two kirks now now we get to love our um double picard well you gotta wonder if 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 patrick stewart didn't see the double brent spiner and go you know i'm actually a pretty good actor myself right, right. <laughs> but he, he doesn't even get to really interact with him which is kind uh, of uh, screwy it's weird he, hello hello maury it's me uh, um uh pat yeah, buddy, how can I help you? I saw the guy that plays the robot. He was doing a whole double robot episode, and I thought to myself, What, what are you saying? Did they, they only got one of you, and they got two of him? Yeah, yes. Whoa. Hang on, let me get my BlackBerry out, right. and I'll send them a message immediately using AOL. I could do it, is what I'm saying. I have the breath. I have the range. Patty, Patty. Pat. We know you got it. This is no problem. I'm going to get on the phone to that uh, great bite. As soon as I can, I'm going to tell him, listen, if if the robot gets to have a double, so does my little Patrick. Listen, great bird, I can play against my greatest adversary, myself. But you're not a goddamn robot. So how am I supposed to make two of you? Caw, caw. It's flipping time travel, man. One of my favorite scenes in this episode is when they bring the shuttle in with their two tractor beams and they land in the shuttle bay and Riker's down there. Then he opens the shuttle bay door and he looks inside and there is Captain Picard, right? And a second Captain Picard. Right. Alt card. He calls the captain up on the bridge and he says, Cap, you have got to get down here immediately. And, and he doesn't tell him, I mean, just for anybody that knows me, if you ever run into a second me anywhere, if there's another Dave, yeah. Like uh, my copy, my doppelganger out there somewhere, and you run into him, you better tell me ahead of time before you just introduce him to me, because I'm afraid that that would probably blow somebody's mind. It would blow my mind. So, 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 if I ever meet actor David Spade, for instance, and you're nearby, yes, and, yes. and I'm like, uh, David Spade, hang on one second, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop your cork, buddy. So when I call you up, I should say, by the way, Davey, you never guess who's so here. So can you, if we're going to leave this thing, can we make this relevant for the uh, listenership? Some people think I look like the actor David Spade, actor and comedian David Spade. And so that we've had some mix-ups sometimes when I'm around different places where people think I am actually David Spade, which is, is all fine. But he's got a lot more millions of dollars than I do. Well, the fun part is how excited people get, and then when they realize it's just you, the disappointment—the disappointment's palpable. You know what? It's it's palpable. weird. You know, I, I don't know what it would be like to be a famous person, except for the times when people mistake me as David Spade, and they get so excited, they look at me, and it's like, oh my god! And then I can see for a moment this little glimpse into what these famous people must experience all the time and probably get really annoyed with, but it, it's pretty thrilling. And then, and then the ah uh, no. Uh, it's, it's some schlub. What I was getting at is that Riker does not tell him. He doesn't say, brace yourself, Captain. You're, this is going to be pretty alarming when you get down here. He just totally expects his captain to have the balls to go down there and see his other self, a duplicate of him, and not lose his shit. <laughs> it's a great moment because it's like, no, no, don't tell him. Don't tell him. This is going to fucking blow his <laughs> mind, man. Yeah, I know. And everybody's standing there waiting for the, the response. And it's like, is this what happens in space? Like that so much weird shit happens that, that they don't even think that this is going to blow somebody's mind. And, and le let me note that in Contagion, we commented about the fact that they stood on the bridge 
and watched another galaxy class vessel that looked like the enterprise blow up and thousands of people died right in front of their faces and nobody flinched okay so i get They're it like dude it happens Riker's gonna get payback because we're gonna run into thomas Riker at some point the duplicate will Riker. sorry for the uh, spoilers folks it's it's a few seasons away there's a dual Riker. oh yeah oh my god oh yeah oh my god what I like about this, though, versus the Brent Spiner, and and you know we love the Brent Spiner, is how much more subtle Picard is. He just turns in, right? And you see that he's like seething. You see that he's like really upset. You see that he's really when he rattled sees himself when he sees the other Picard. Uh, he because he, he does that thing where he goes he him. He never says like, "Oh, look, it's me." He looks at him. He's like, uh, "Will, who's this fucking guy?" <laughs> yeah. Jesus, someone get a tube. Is that what I look like? Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what's so shocking. Who the hell does this guy think he is? I love how internal it is. He just holds that thing in and he seethes. There are dialogue choices like calling him he and him and calls him a facsimile as if he were yes. somehow fake. Well, he doesn't want to believe he's him. He doesn't want it because he's also not acting like right. Jean-Luc. He's acting like he's stunted. He's I don't know if he's supposed to be playing like he's in reverse. When he speaks, it's like, he's garbled. He's out of phase with time and he's confused. Right. And it does kind of go back to the enemy within, which we mentioned earlier, is is you have this kind mm. of weak, disoriented Picard right. that obviously made the wrong decision. You know, Riker has that great scene with him that talks about his ability to take a, a definitive preemptive step and to take charge, usually it works out, lucky for him. Always. But here it didn't. So now what are you going to do? It's funny because Picard every week is taking these gambles. I mean, we're into episode 30-something at this point, and like everything has worked out. You know, things the misfire. But there, there's another timeline where Picard makes mistakes like this dude that he runs across and at least one time. And here he is coming face to face with him. And the, Picard is disgusted by him. He's like, this Picard is weak. This Picard blew it. Yes. That rattles him, too. It's like, why would he leave the Enterprise? Right. That's that's crap. You would never leave the Enterprise. And he's like, yeah, that this Picard is not acting like me. But then they're presented with the reason that he has to leave the Enterprise. And it makes sense eventually. Like, why would he leave? Right. And that's the kind of time travel stuff that they play around with more later. And, and I love that kind of stuff. How do you get to the point where the characters do something that makes no sense and the narrative makes it make sense by the time you catch up to that part. And it's, it's a great trick. It's used in other ways in other movies where you, you flash back, where you start with something in the beginning that is a surprise, and then you flash back and find out how the person got there in a lot of crime yeah. movies. Right. But it's, it's shocking, and it's also shocking how, and, and this is, you know, kudos to the direction, kudos to the writing, and kudos to the rest of the crew. Lots of kudos to go around. More kudos than Picard's. Because the crew is really unsettled, right? Yeah. I mean, Picard's unsettled, so the crew's unsettled. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. on edge. I like and that, too. that calming presence of Picard is not there. Where's our captain? Yeah, even though Riker is a command figure, he's also, you know, out of kilter. Yeah. But the minute Picard's out of kilter, everyone's out of kilter. Right. And that totally makes sense to me. It's done very intelligently, and it's done very subtly. Yes. It makes the most sense for this show that is so... It becomes way more Picard-centric, but it, it makes sense with the command that we've seen him have so far that if he becomes unglued somehow or he becomes concerned about his decision-making, then everybody's going to be off because they all count on him so much. And it's weird when you got two commanders because you've got Riker and he's supposed to be the fun guy you play cards with and does the tromboning in New Orleans and stuff, but, but they're really counting on the captain to hold this whole Galaxy-class vessel together. Even though Riker and Picard in that scene, you know, they demonstrate a really great relationship. And yes. it's nice to see it. It's nice to see them interacting that way. You I know, like Riker that. Riker shows insight to Picard because, you know, Riker is is studying Picard. He's trying to absorb everything he can from Picard. You know, he also cares about Picard. And Picard is not like a touchy-feely kind of guy. He's not very emotional. Right. Picard does something else. Him being unsettled creates what I think, at least up to this point, is Pulaski's best scene ever. That is when she has that conversation with Troy about, I may have to, you know, take this guy, yes. I may have to relieve him of his command. For the first time, at least in my mind, she's saying something that's really kind of, it, it makes yeah. sense. It, it's not knee-jerk. It's very reasonable, 
we've been here before in The Lonely Among Us when we were actually frustrated that the crew's not taking more preemptive action. And it right. makes sense because they're so locked in on Picard in a way that Pulaski is It isn't. really goes back to, I think this. it feels like it comes right on the tail of unnatural selection. And in that episode, we had this you know, direct challenge to Picard's authority by Pulaski. And this seems like it fits kind of in the same tone as that episode where she is saying you know i'm the doctor and i get to make these choices and and you know you sometimes you have to make these hard choices even though he is my commander and in that episode we we found that she really does admire the captain i think this episode kind of builds on that as well she admires him but she is not how can i say this she's she's not intimidated by him number one that almost kind of hero worship that the rest of the crew have that 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 veneration yes. that veneration of Picard that the rest of the crew have she doesn't have that she admires him for his like the honesty of his character she admires him when he's at his best and she's willing to criticize him when he's weak or or not making the right decisions and and, and I do like that because it it does feel like a real relationship that you'd have with a real person instead of character worshiping about somebody that's actually you know, so perfect that he, you know, never makes mistakes or almost never does. And, and you know, I know we have here's an episode where he is making a mistake, but it's not really him. It's the, you know, the bizarro him that has made the mistake. Well, I want to also talk about the fact that he shoots himself. Oh, my God. It's so weird that he does that. I He just shoots himself. And it's so shocking. I mean, going back again to the thing we talked about with no action. So here's some action for you. You want some action? <laughs> I got some action for you. How about the pot where Johnny kills himself? I did not see it going there. I really didn't. And he's trying to figure out how to get out of this box that, that the time kind of loop, which is about to happen, is putting him in. He has to stop himself, future Picard, from leaving the ship. Yeah, he just unloads the phaser on him and kills him. And he's a Captain Picard. And, and it's cold-blooded, man. I, know. I mean, it is cold-blooded. He is so internal. He is so uptight. He is so clenched and right. dedicated to being the excuse captain. Excuse me? I mean, excuse you? Who? Me? Uh, yeah, I'm going to shoot your ass. I mean, in the end, we discover it's unnecessary because he fades it, away. It does make you wonder. I don't think he ever... Feels like this future Picard is real. He's shown us time and again how he respects life. So why would he kill a living thing, even if it's himself? And it's like Johnny, Johnny. You know, there's a stun on that, right? <laughs> you know, you could just like crank that down to a stun. It would have done the same thing, Bob. Uh, listen, listen. I know it's a whole galaxy, but there's only room for one of us in this galaxy, and it's me. Adios. It would have been good if he just would have went, "Oops." I thought it was set on stun number one. <laughs> uh, come, let me give you a little tour around the Jeffrey's tubes. Uh, lean over here for a moment. Look down there. It's really interesting. <laughs> Whoops. Have you ever seen the shuttle bay open? You ever <laughs> see a little movie called Alien? Yes, yes, yes. They're, they're, right. There's a force field up there. Don't worry about it. I'll be right back. <laughs> But it's so cold-blooded and, it's and, weird. and it so is. unnecessary. I love it because it shows you how fucking I do too. frustrated he is and how freaked out he is. And it's right. such an irrational thing I, to I do. I know it is, and I, I do see it as this kind of unraveling. I love it, but it's just like, a, a screw this guy, man. I think this is a creepy episode in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of great tension because, you know, like Worf says, and, and this made me roll my eyes so hard, he goes, there's a theory of the Mobius, a twist in the fabric of space where time becomes a loop. You mean the Mobius strip we used to make in uh, in junior high science class there, Woffy? You know, Harry is back there, like, between carving dolphins, he's making these things. Hey, Dad, look. It just never ends. It never ends. So they're all trying to suppose what's happening. And what I love about that scene is Worf says something. And it's, it's supposed to land, I think, like it's intelligent, right? Right. It's like he should be looking around the room going, what? Uh, none of you told me I was stupid after I said that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we're, we're supposed to be thinking that Worf is sitting in his quarters, like catching up on his temporal theory. Right. Uh, I'm really into temporal engineering. I have brains, too. I, I, I know I murdered all those space creatures down in the holodeck, but... I have time to think about Farad's theorem, too. (laughs) 
And he calls it the, the theory of the Mobius. The fuck? Whoever calls it the theory of the Mobius. <laughs> so maybe they are making him sound stupid again. I don't know. I can't. I don't know. But it was it was meant to be an intelligent moment. I think so. Speaking of yes, time. Number one. I think we have spent an enormous amount of time on this oh episode. Oh, my God. I'm ready to get in my shuttlecraft and, and sail off into the next episode. I'm going to go to my uncomfortable bed with a very awkward uh, pillow, a rectangular pillow. And uh, I'm going to make like uh, alternate Picard and just kind of lay comatose yes, for a while. Yes, you good I with hope, that? I hope I don't run into myself again tonight. Well, you, my dear listeners, have been enjoying well, enjoying, optimistically, enjoying yet another episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. I am Ambassador Andrew, and with me as always is... Commander Dave E. Dave. Until next time. Let's go mind the store. Both of them. Enough with the squaring of time and Picard on Picard action. We're on to new frontiers. Like, what do you do if your dad, who you haven't seen in 15 years, shows up on the Enterprise? It's Riker and his dad, Riker. And it's awkward. Kyle Riker is is just awful. Yeah. It's season two, episode 14, The Icarus Factor. Andrew and Dave will go into Riker's daddy issues. Hey, look, Will, it's your dad. Kate Pulaski's love life. The big learn is that Pulaski and Riker's dad had a thing, right? Yes, as a matter of fact, she's she's still hot for him. The boys go back to the writer's room to figure out just how this episode came to be. Boys, boys, and one girl, we're going to do an episode of uh, Riker meets his dad. Let's vision board this, all right? And Worf... Somehow, this episode is also about Worf. With all due respect, be gone! Get geared up for some Riker versus Riker 24th century manhandling as Pappy Riker and son work things out. Ambo-jitsu, it's the ultimate evolution of the martial arts, duh. While Worf goes through the trial of his life. It's like zap and he's... I crave only the blood of my enemies. Get your wax wings on and get ready to fly. You're going too high, son. Oh, you're burning up. Oh, man. It's the Icarus Factor, and it's next time on STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Son, I'm coming for you. Daddy will catch you. Oh, uh, okay. Enveloping? Hey, that's my thing! Enveloping. Oh, wait, what did I say? Oh, You said enveloping. <laughs> Enve- I wrote that. I know. <laughs>